0: Welcome to another edition of the Time Room Bullseye Podcast. I'm Eamon McEnany, and uh, coming up we're going to do things a little different this week. No coaches or players coming on. We're going to do a roundtable on growing the game. I'm going to be joined by some gentlemen who have uh, really dedicated more than their time and effort to growing the game in the inner cities of America. And we're going to talk about the challenge of that and what's satisfying about that and how we can continue to do that. But first, of course, the brackets came out last night. 18 teams in the field some teams feeling snubbed some teams feeling why are they going on the road and uh you gotta love the passion on social media from Rutgers fans for the Scarlet Knights being snubbed I get it it's tough to swallow when you're sitting there with two wins over Johns Hopkins but on Sunday night the Blue Jays are in the tournament going to Brown and you're left out It's tough to swallow that Johns Hopkins has practice today and the Scarlet Knights are cleaning out their locker room. And uh, Look, I don't think it's so much the old boy network taking care of one of their own here. I understand it's an easy way to go for Rutgers fans. I get it. I just think when you're Johns Hopkins and you have all that tradition, everyone wants to play you. So that schedule is locked in with nothing but power. That strength of schedule, you have Virginia, Syracuse, Carolina out of conference. I know they only want one and two in those three games, but that's a big one. If you're the committee, you compare the strength of schedule. I'm with you, Rutgers. I understand head-to-head, but I think Hopkins' schedule is just loaded. To me, the surprise was Navy making it and Harvard not making it. I understand Harvard didn't have a great record, 500, but they had power wins. Duke, Brown, Villanova, those wins to me are more impressive than Navy's wins, But I think what the committee did this year, more than in years past, they valued one loss record, and they really held teams accountable for what some of us might say are questionable losses. All right, so that's my turn on the tournament. Now let's turn the page, and we're going to talk about growing the game. And I'm happy to be joined now by three gentlemen who have really uh, put a yeoman's effort into doing this in the inner city. Matt Levine from CityLax in New York City, Sam Angelata, OwlsLax in Chicago, and Matt Breslin, with winners lacrosse in Washington D.C. and uh, gentlemen, I know this will go around the horn here. Uh, I know we can't see each other, but I'll try to be the traffic cop here as uh, as good as much as possible. Uh, thank you for the time, and uh, let's we'll go Matt, Matt Breslin, Sam Angelotta on the first question here, just because uh, I want to go big picture. Uh, but Matt from City Lacks in New York City, how would you describe the journey? your organization has been on since it started, and then you guys can all jump in from there and just talk about your uh, organizations from the infancy to now.
1: Hey, man, thanks for having me uh, on, the, uh, on the podcast. Um, our journey in New York City started 10 years ago. Uh, we just uh, celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, this spring, or we are celebrating it. So we, we decided early on that uh, the way to bring... Game uh, to kids in the city. Periods, and ultimately we figured out a few schools that uh, we could work with, and uh, we 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 focused on uh, areas in underserved uh, throughout the five boroughs and underserved areas, and we we chose Harlem in the Bronx as our first uh, three schools to focus on, and and that got us running. Today, uh, after 10 years, we've got 52 boys and girls varsity high school teams playing. Uh, at a varsity level, and, uh, we're about to, uh, or we're expanding now after, uh, the varsity focus, uh, into middle schools.
0: Matt Breslin, how about with, uh, winners? Uh, wh- how have you guys started off? Um, <clears throat> thank you. And, um, and Matt, that's, uh,
2: that's awesome stuff. That was, uh, I, I didn't know how, how far you guys have come. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> we started, uh, very, very simply. Our, we, we noticed in, we started in 2000 and um, some of our founding members sort of noticed that you know the sport was growing but it was only growing in certain communities and they wanted to change that and so it started literally as simply as going down to fields in D.C. Um, in the inner city throwing sticks down calling kids over and saying why don't you come try this this sport um, it started to pick up a little bit and, and so what they what, what, what we did was we started um, we hired an, an executive director um, I'm now the fourth executive director of Winter's LaCroft. And, and similar to, to Matt's take, you know, we, we, we noticed we needed to, one, become a full-year program. It was very focused on the spring um, in, the, in the last – about five or six years ago. Wanted to become a full-year program, and we wanted to make sure that – or reach more kids by going into the schools. So we started going into schools. We focus a little bit more on uh, middle school and elementary school. Um, we, we stop in eighth grade. Um, but we wanted to go into schools, introduce the sport, um, show the kids what a great sport it is, um, and get them hooked, and then, and then have them join our team. So we started over the last uh, three years, uh, we started um, leagues in D.C. We started the first ever middle school league in D.C., which now has 14 teams in it, and the first elementary school uh, league, which now has two sites and has about uh, 14 teams as well.
0: All right, Sam, you're up next. Yeah, so we started uh, basically the same same idea. Matt sort of touched
3: on. I'll piggyback that from like the thirty thousand foot view, which is the the sport was growing, and even even you know through the Midwest and out west, and and in Chicago specifically, you know if you look at it now, there's there's ninety six varsity teams in the Chicago area, but really only fourteen varsity level teams in the city of Chicago, and. We basically started, um, and going back even, you know, kind of specifically to our program. I was in grad school and doing a lot of research on after-school programming, and um, the sort of the uh, issues of segregation as far as neighborhoods and and disenfranchisement, and all these different um, sort of bigger, bigger picture elements that were going into lack of play opportunities for kids and. Which basically started off as, um, facing the challenges of, of institutionalized childhood and, and again, lack of play opportunities for kids. So in 2011, we started at one school site. We're school based as well. And we developed, you know, one of the main things we had to do was develop a board of directors. Um, but we started with 10 kids and it was just introducing lacrosse. And, and then going beyond that, um, we began adding, building the competition within our neighborhood. So, um, Fast forward, we have uh, five school-based programs, two community-based teams um, in Chicago. And then a- as it grew, we sort of realized that lacrosse was, was the hook, and it could be used as a measure for so many different things, um, like academic intervention. And I know a lot of the programs that we're, we're talking to here and, and elsewhere are, are are you know, of the same um, ilk, and we we want to be more than lacrosse. Um, so, uh, we started academic uh, re- uh, mentoring resources and um, tutoring outlets for kids. And essentially, we see after school time. You know, in Chicago specifically, there's a tremendous um, amount of violence in the neighborhoods that we're. That we're operating in, you know, just this year alone, over a thousand, uh, shootings and over 200 homicides just since January 1. Um, and we see lacrosse as an opportunity, as a peace building measure and, and, essentially an option for kids. So our, our, our model is really, uh, in, in at-risk youth sports based intervention model. I know that's a lot of, uh, buzzwords there, but at, you know, if you look at it just at three levels, you know, the first one is just introducing the sport and, and having kids uh, learn to love the game, um, and then to expanding on that option by doing service learning projects, uh, we, we we're really lucky to have Kevin Corrigan on our board of directors, and we've had a long-standing relationship with Notre Dame Lacrosse. And uh, their their dedication to service has really been a trickle-down effect on our kids, and and that goes over to the girls as well, with Northwestern being in our backyard. So we're lucky to have those programs, and that service learning aspect really important to us uh the second level, and then, and then three, uh, just the kids adopting the option and really, uh, we're seeing student-athletes come out of our program, and, you know, I, I think lacrosse is important and their, their continuation of the game is important, uh, but more so their dedication to uh, service and citizenship within our neighborhoods uh, uh, and taking pride in that. We're seeing a lot of kids come back and help coach and help with service learning and um, we're seeing some success stories. So we have a long way to go, but um, we're excited to to be part of the urban lacrosse movement.
0: Uh, you know, Sam, I'll ask you this question specifically because you kind of led me to it right there. But, you know, so much, you know, in my world of youth lacrosse or, you know, high school lacrosse is focused on recruiting in D1 schools. I get the feeling, obviously – you know, you guys, all three of you, you know, that's the farthest thing from your mind when you hand a kid a stick for the first time. So how do you define success? What is a success story uh, in your eyes?
3: Yeah, so, you know, that's a really good question, Eman. And basically success is, is the kids staying involved. And um, with our program, we have kids that we want them to be basically – engaging in our after-school programs and our, our mentorship programs and and you know just going to the right high school or graduating high school might be success for one kid and we kind of take the on the uh, notion of, of pure personalis where each kid has a different set of circumstances and it might success might look differently for a different kid um... But we want them uh... you know success is improving one sense of citizenship and opportunity um, and and it might be you know, for certain kids we've had in our program, uh, we've had kids dealing with you know a tremendous amount of post traumatic stress, and and the sport itself might not even be uh, the option for them. So we've had kids that are directly engaged in our program that aren't even playing lacrosse, that are uh, doing equipment management or uh, game day staff, and we we see a potential you know for economic opportunity whether it's being an official. Uh, or a coach or a vendor at our games. I mean, we have, you know, we do have the goal in mind of, of sending our kids to college, but we've had, we work with, uh, for example, we work with, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls and they have, um, essentially an at-risk youth residency. And some of those kids are getting involved with, uh, lacrosse at a later age and, um, maybe a four-year college isn't, isn't the answer. Um, and so how can we find a role where they are in a position of self-sufficiency and success, um, you know, after the age of 18? Uh, so, so we – and part of that is early intervention. So as best we can, we try to get involved early, around second, third grade, um, and do our best to, to stay uh, involved in that kid's uh, transformation all the way through self-sufficiency. So – you know, there's so many parallels, I think, with lacrosse. I think with, you know, with uh, traditional sports, there may be some pretty existing uh, stigmas in the inner city, um, but we see the parallels to teamwork and team building, you know, honor, discipline, tradition, you know, with the, with the game being a, a native sport and their sort of traditions of, a, of using lacrosse as a peace-building measure. We think that's so relevant to, uh, to our, you know, issues that we face in Chicago. But there's so many parallels, leadership, citizenship, occupational success. Um, you know, with our school to school initiative, which is kind of our relationship with with not only Notre Dame and Northwestern but local high schools. We use those, you know, play days as as lacrosse as the hook, but then we're doing other things like team building activities and enrichment programming, campus tours, uh, guest speakers, all these type of things all added to the equation um, that when our kids are in a place of self-sufficiency, that success, not necessarily playing at the college
0: level. All right, uh, Matt Levine, I want to go back to you here with this one. As you mentioned, uh, City Lacks in New York City and the PSAL, now up to 52 teams. What's the next step? Not just specifically for City Lacks in New York, but you've been around this sport your whole life. What's the next step that needs to be taken for growing this game in the inner cities of our country?
1: Well, I mean, I... a good question. Um, because you know we're we're getting. I think the uh, the step that uh, we're looking to take here obviously is is, is bringing the game to more kids uh, at the uh, younger levels. Now that we've got it established at the high school level, and to, uh, to make it more. I think try to establish it as it grows in the community uh, to become. As more of a a mainstream mainstream sport opportunity, Uh, we know a lot of kids gravitate to baseball, basketball. uh, But now, with the with the game uh, uh, presented on TV, uh, and uh, with with your crew and uh, through the internet, I think that the uh, the the exposure of the game is now starting to get. uh, brought into the culture of the cities because kids obviously are techn- technologically savvy. Uh, as far as what we're doing specifically in our programming, besides bringing it to, uh, kids at, uh, the middle school level, uh, we have a, uh, a, a pretty large group of volunteers, uh, from schools like Notre Dame as are working out there in Chicago, Notre Dame and, and, and many of the division one, two II and three schools. And we're we're going to try to uh, bring more of uh, their uh, mentorship skills directly to the kids, and that would include uh, specifically college uh, preparation men, uh, mentorship, and also uh, college application assistance assistantship. And and what we've found is is we're broadening uh, I think a lot of kids' horizons when it comes to the ability to look at the college opportunity. Uh, as was mentioned before, it could be a junior college uh, a, a, a possibility where uh, a young man or woman would not be even thinking about college or obviously a four-year school and uh, both in the state school system or outside in the private system. But we're broadening the horizons of a lot of kids who really weren't looking at college as deeply as that. And one thing I'd like to point out is, is that the – uh, when the kids get off into college, most of our student-athletes really are, when they get off to college, probably not uh, in certain, most schools, especially in the Division One state system where a lot of them go, um, do not often end up obviously making a Division One college roster, even a Division Three. But there are so many club lacrosse opportunities, and the assimilation process for a youth coming out of the inner city here in New York to a college campus where he, he or she joins the club lacrosse process has is, is really been uh, a tremendous, has had a tremendous impact on a lot of the kids. They feel like they're a part of uh, the college campus life right away and uh, are obviously part of uh, uh, the lacrosse community there, and I think it makes their assimilation into schools uh, a lot easier once they uh, get through the high school uh, uh, graduation here. Um, I think, brought, you know, just, just to answer uh, the broader question, I think bringing um, some of our programs like Chicago, uh, winners down in D.C., and uh, and obviously what's going on up in Boston with uh, Metro La Crosse, uh, there's a lot of uh, activity now going on in Albany. Uh, I think bringing some of our programs together on a, uh, on a more na- a national basis I think would also uh, give kids a feeling uh, in the inner cities that they're joining, uh, becoming part of the lacrosse community, uh, both within their cities, but on a broader national basis. And I think that would also, I, I think, embolden and uh, strengthen all of the work that all of the people are doing in these various programs, including the two gentlemen on the call with me right now.
0: Uh, that certainly sounds like a, a good idea and definitely something would, that would have an impact. Uh, Matt Breslin down in Washington, D.C., I want to throw this question your way just uh, for you're the closest to it. Uh, I know it's only one year, so it might be tough to describe the impact. Uh, it's a small sample size, but Hampton obviously made it quite a <laughs> uh, historic move this spring going into Division One men's lacrosse, uh, historically black college. First one, mm-hmm. uh, how would you describe the impact of having a varsity team at a school such as Hampton has had or will have on the development of uh, lacrosse in the inner city, specifically for you, Washington, D.C., but overall, you would think the landscape of the sport?
2: No, absolutely. I, think, uh, I mean, I think the, the impact is huge because a lot of, you know, one of the things that we really try to do here, here at Winners is, is, is show, you know, maybe a different path than our kids are on. You know, our elementary and middle school kids might be going down, you know, a, a path that might not be the best, and we're trying to show them, you know, sports and and there are other ways, other avenues, um, you know, to success. Um, and one of the things that that our kids love to see is is an example. So we've got we've got a lot of our former players now, which is is been a huge bonus for us. A lot of our former players come back and help coach. You know, and, and to be, you know, completely honest, for, for our kids to, to look at an old player, a former player in our program who's now successful, who's now, you know, playing in high school, if they've got a high school team, or who's, um, we've got two, two of our kids, we have the first two kids to ever go play in college, um, one's a freshman this year, one's gonna be a freshman next year. You know, for our kids to see that is just a huge, huge bonus, and a huge, uh, boost to, for them, To see that they're, you know, that that they could be part of something, something bigger, and something, uh, and 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 go on a path that that leads to to success. So them seeing Canton, you know, having a having a team was just such a boost to to everybody because they could see, you know, players that you know, to be completely honest, you know, look look like them, Mm -hmm. you know, are 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 playing at the college level, being successful. Playing a sport that they love, and now, and and not only are they playing, they're in, they're playing, you know, at, at the at the college level and in college. It's just a wonderful thing for our kids to see, for all the kids to see um, that this is this is possible, and this is a path, and this is a way to, to you know, like I said, maybe a different a different path that they were that they were on.
0: All right, we're going to wrap this up the way we began it. We'll go around the horn. I'll start with Matt in New York again, then Matt in D.C. and Sam in Chicago to wrap it up. But uh, hypothetically, if you bumped into someone who wanted to start a similar program in another city, you know, say a Miami or Houston, uh, what's the one piece of advice you'd give him that they have to have under, you know, on lockdown to make sure this would work? Matt, let's start with you in New York.
1: Sure, I Eamon. Um also relates a little bit back to what you said on you know sort of next steps but uh, number one I say you got to spend a lot of time on coaches education uh, you know you don't always you have former players but then if you work in schools uh, you have a lot of people interested in in coaching but they don't have any lacrosse background you have to invest uh, in coaches education uh, uh, to make sure that they learn the game uh, properly go through a lot of the training programs offered by u.s lacrosse uh that's a big big piece of this uh and, and the other uh, piece of it is understand and learn how to teach this if you're doing this in the inner city learn how to teach the game in small spaces develop uh <laughs> small space playing areas that are safe and uh and, uh, and there is a, uh, U.S. lacrosse model out there now called the lacrosse development Mo- athlete model. And, uh, it's, de- it's focused on, uh, teaching the game in small spaces and understanding and learning the game that way first before you broaden it out, obviously, and play full, full field lacrosse 10 on 10 or 12 to 12 if the girls do.
0: Matt Breslin, how about you? What piece of advice would you give me?
2: I think in piggybacking on that, definitely, definitely be flexible. Um, I, we've learned to, to play in parking lots, in classrooms, and, you know, anything. Definitely be flexible. Um, I would definitely um, in, encourage the, the person to, to have a plan. You know, you need to have a, a, a teaching plan in, in, uh, in, in place. And finally, I think you need to be ready to create awareness about what you're doing. You know, to piggyback on what Matt said before in terms of next steps, you know, I think the awareness of what we're doing, anytime I talk to someone about what, what Winners is doing and what these other groups in the country are doing, immediately their first thing is, what can I do to help? Or how can I get on board? You know, I think you need to be willing and able to talk about it openly at all, at all times and tell people about it to get them to help to, to uh, you know, reach more kids within, within, the, uh, within the, you know, city or wherever you're working um, so that kids can have the opportunity to play this game fall in love with this game, and, and learn from, from the coaches and mentors that, that you're, you're putting out on the field.
0: All right, Sam, you're a cleanup hitter. What do you got for me? What's your advice?
3: I agree with everything they said. <laughs> and, you know, I would say establish your mission specifically, you know, why and how are you developing your programs. Utilize your resources. So uh, if you're starting a school-based program, it's really important that you have someone internally at the school or that school is on board with you. Um, so you don't lose any traction there, and I think a general understanding that um, yes, we're teaching lacrosse, and 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 really you have to have patience that it's not going to happen overnight. And it's specifically, if you're going in the inner city, um, understand that this may be the first. You know, a lot of our kids, for example, uh, this is their first sport because of you know really only there, there being a few opportunities. Whether it's basketball, and you have the five kids that participate, and everyone else is left in the dust. A lot of our kids, is their first sport that they're participating in. So be ready to, uh, really just teach general athletics, like responding to a whistle, proper athletic clothing, and understanding if maybe there might be economic restrictions where that kid is, uh, has jeans on because, uh, shorts, you know, were, were, are provided for them by, by the family or, or what have you. Uh, so understand, um, your audience and your mission and, you know, be patient.
0: Well, gentlemen, I I certainly appreciate you taking the time. Matt Levine, Sam Angelata, and Matt Breslin. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on board the time room bullseye podcast, but more importantly, uh, thanks for dedicating so much of your time to, uh, growing the game that we all have a passion for, uh, it's incredible dedication and incredible success all across the country. And, uh, I think anyone involved in lacrosse owes you guys a thank you because the game continues to grow and it's pretty much not going to get done without the work of you guys and your staff. So thanks for joining me, and uh, more importantly, thanks for your work. I really appreciate it, and uh, this has been a great uh, conversation for me. So thanks a lot for the time. Thanks, Damon. Thanks,
3: Damon. Thanks, Damon.
1: Our pleasure.
0: All right, that'll do it for the Time Room Bullseye podcast for this week. Remember, of course, the NCAA tournament, all eight games on ESPNU. It starts Saturday at noon with Duke at Loyola. I'll be at Brown on Saturday, Yale on Sunday. Who knows? Maybe I'll pick up a graduate degree from an Ivy League school after those two visits. But uh, I'm at 5.15 on Saturday and Sunday. But until then, thanks for listening. And remember, Time Room Bullseye.